cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Dr. Amanda Ryman, Chief Knowledge Officer, New Frontier Data, and founder of Personal Plants. Dr. Amanda, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I woke up thinking it was Tuesday. So, um, you know, very relieved that I'm an extra day towards the weekend. And uh, it's only in the 90s here today. So life couldn't be better. When you first got started the dissertation, was there any assumptions that you had early on in that process that over the 10 years, you you were surprised that were ended up different? Just something that kind of caught you that you were like, huh, I didn't think about it like that. Well, really, the substitution aspect was very interesting to me. You know, a lot of times when I was growing up, at least, cannabis was really framed as a gateway drug, right? It was this drug that led you into hazardous behaviors with other drugs. Now, I will say right here that I believe the gateway drug is sugar, and we can talk more about why that is. But I quickly learned that cannabis was not a gateway drug and that it was, in fact, an exit drug. And this whole idea of people using cannabis to reduce their alcohol use, to reduce their opiate use, really came from my own experience as a medical cannabis patient. Um, I uh, My doctor is Dr. Frank Lucido. He's in Berkeley. He's been doing this for decades. And he has a very extensive intake form process. And a part of that intake form is asking people about what happened to your use of other things when you started using cannabis. And so you know, this idea that cannabis could help people move off of more dangerous substances or move away from more dangerous patterns was never really something that we could talk about or investigate because everything was lumped together. And cannabis was the same as heroin, is the same as cocaine, is the same as methamphetamine. When the reality is, you know, these drugs are inanimate objects and it's really about our behavior towards them that determines their risks and benefits. So the opportunity to dive deeper into how patients were using cannabis as a harm reduction tool was something unexpected and a very pleasant surprise that really has guided my my research since then. I wonder what the alcohol customer's response is going to be to the shifting in the consumer behavior. Well, I'll tell you, the alcohol companies, they're already getting on board. So two of my favorite cannabis beverages that are on the market right now, one's made by Lagunitas and one's made by PBR. And so they obviously, they know what they're doing, right? They know how to formulate. They know how to do mass distribution. They know how to do quality control when it comes to beverages. I mean, there is kind of a knowledge base around how do you mass distribute a beverage and make sure that the quality stays the same, that the packaging is compliant. You know, alcohol has a lot of rules also when it comes to packaging, when it comes to who the consumer can be. So I think it makes sense. And so I think it's, you know, we can, I don't know who owns them, but I believe there's some kind of alcohol company involvement there as well. And so I, I see the marketing of these beverages really taking the place of the marketing I used to see as a young person in the 80s for alcohol, right? It's like people at a picnic having fun and they're all young and good looking and energetic. And like, you know, we're seeing kind of the same messaging around cannabis beverages as we used to see around alcohol beverages. Because I think the alcohol companies are understanding that Gen Zs are not lining up to become alcohol drinkers. So they have to shift their messaging to focus on an older crowd of people that are interested in drinking alcohol, which is really kind of Gen X and older. And they have to look at other product verticals. So 
So let's let's kind of dive a little bit into the study. And can you help our listeners understand for what substitution means in the context of your study? So I've always defined substitution as the conscious decision to use one substance instead of another. And there's all kinds of reasons. I will say that across three different studies now in two countries with thousands of participants, we get pretty much the same three answers as to why people use cannabis as a substitute for something else. That cannabis serves their needs better. So whether those are medical needs or recreational needs, like they find that cannabis is a better option for meeting those needs. That they're less concerned about addiction and dependence when it comes to cannabis, and that cannabis has fewer negative side effects than the other things that they are consuming. And we have found that about alcohol. We have found that about opiates. I have found that about methamphetamine and other studies that I have done. But again, you know, it's really about what they have access to and what their brain is telling them is the best option for them. And if somebody has physical or psychological dependence on a substance, they still may choose that substance instead of something that is less dangerous because that's their pattern of behavior. Uh, But the substitution is really a conscious activity and it is making a mindful decision to use one thing instead of another. So we usually speak about all pro aspects of cannabis. I'd, I'd like you to give us another negative aspect, one that's just not commonly understood or one that's not commonly heard. THC tolerance. It's a thing. It is a thing. And it impacts your endocannabinoid system. So, you know, our endocannabinoid systems, they are there to regulate things like mood and sex and appetite and sleep. And when you start hammering those receptors with THC being brought in from an external source, your endocannabinoid system gets lazy. And it's like putting its feet up in the back of the car on the road trip. And it's like, I don't really need to work that hard anymore. Like, I don't need to be releasing all of these endocannabinoids because you're supplementing my job with the plant. So over time, you will build up tolerance to THC and your endocannabinoid system will start getting sluggish. And we do not want that, right? We want our ECS to be toned, to be effective, to be efficient. And so one of the concerns I have, especially with higher THC products, now I'm not talking about taking a 30 milligram gummy. I'm really talking about, you know, chronic use of like a vape pen where you're inhaling um, oil that's upwards of 60, 70, 80% THC. I do think that that is something we need to talk about. And when people take a break from cannabis, which I recommend taking a tolerance break from cannabis at least once a year, mostly once a month, I take 48 hours off every single month of THC you will feel what we classify as withdrawals. I've given you a magic wand where ethics and money are no issue. What research study would you do? Well, I've always really been interested in people that say they use cannabis just to get high. Like I feel like there's something deeper there And I've always wanted to kind of go into that a little bit more and better understand what that means when someone says that. And you hear that a lot, right? Like I hear that a lot. Like I'm not medical. It's not therapeutic. I just use it to get high. I'm really curious what's behind that statement. So that's something that I'd really like to know about. Um, And then I'm really interested in cannabis as a treatment for addiction. When you got started in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Well, I think what I got right was just the harm reduction nature of cannabis. You know, the fact 
that people are using cannabis in a way that best suits them in their lives. Like I've always felt that people's relationships with cannabis is very personal and very utilitarian. And people that have been using cannabis a long time, like they really know how to use it, right? They know what it's good for. They know what it's not good for. So I think that that is probably something that from the beginning, I really recognized. And then on the other side, I wouldn't necessarily say I got it wrong. I understand where it came from. But, you know, I definitely used to be one of these, you know, cannabis has very few of any risks type of person. And I think the reason I was like that and a lot of the early activists were like that is because we were constantly getting hammered from the other side with the messages of doom, that, you know, cannabis was the worst, that it was going to cause all these long-term problems, that it was going to ruin teenagers' brains, that it was highly addictive, that it led to the use of other drugs. And so to counter that, I think we were kind of pressured to almost go to the other extreme and say like, no, cannabis isn't addictive and it has no risks. And even though I think it has fewer risks than most other things, nothing is without risk. If you can sell up your experience and a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Don't be afraid to pave a path that has not been cut yet. You know, it would have been very easy for me as a researcher coming up in drug policy and substance abuse just to stay the track and study adolescent substance abuse and all of the things that the government was funding. And I would be sitting right now in this very nice job under government grants, you know, trying to keep drugs out of the hands of children. Um, But I didn't do that. You know, and and instead I was like, look, maybe nobody's doing research on the benefits of cannabis or who consumers are, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And so I did not see a path. There was not a path for me. Um, So I had to cut my own path. And I think that that's an important lesson because there's a lot of young folks coming up who have great ideas, ideas that the older generations can't even begin to wrap our minds around or understand. And there is no path for them to follow. And so cut your own path. If you feel really passionate about what you're doing and you feel that it can benefit society and you feel that it is novel and new and something that other people have shied away from, but you're willing to do it, cut your own path. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me anytime. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.